Thanks for pressing play on this next episode of A-Sides. Over the last year, we haven't got to experience live music. I've kind of eased back into some smaller shows, and I thought it was cool to talk with Kenny Wright about his concert stories back in the day. And I also enjoyed talking to Devin Birch and hearing his stories and how he was instrumental with the Limelight Concert Hall here in Peoria and which bands he helped bring to town. So I thought I'd follow up with my friend Denny and get some of his first-hand experiences with concerts as well, whether it was shows he played or shows he attended. So thanks for listening to this episode, and also thank you to Denny Smith for coming back for another episode of A-Side. Okay, well, I pulled out some stuff for this, man. I went and dug out a photo album that had ticket stubs in it. Oh, nice. Nice. So I was able, because I have a really bad time remembering years, and I found out all kinds of cool stuff in there that I didn't even know I still had. So it was a it was a worthwhile expedition just to dig that out. But it'll help this, you know, when I dig back a little too far yeah. where the those parts of my brain have got kind of fuzzy, I'll have, I'll have better... Uh, stuff to back up my my claims um well i guess to start <laughs> off what is one that i guess you totally forgot about that came to your mind like well it's it's funny because i had to ask uh i had to ask joanne to kind of help me remember some of these things because there's i didn't know what the criteria were i was like well what are we just going to talk about crazy stuff we've seen or shows that were off the charts great or you know just odd occur because i've seen all kinds of, i've seen people fall downstairs i've seen people fall out of balconies i you know we were in the middle of that stabbing thing that happened at mandalay bay so there's all this crazy stuff but then there's just us you know like when i was pulling these ticket stubs out ticket to the first show i ever went to and that was just like a flood of stuff like oh my god i remember camping out for that behind uh this like, i think it was called video sound warehouse and it was, it's not there anymore. It was a video store that had a ticket master outlet in it up by the Beverly theater, I think oh, wow. in Peoria. And my mom, I think my parents were probably like in the middle of their divorce at that point. Otherwise I never would have gotten to go stay overnight in an alleyway. Cause we didn't have a car. I didn't, wasn't even old enough to drive. So <laughs> my buddy Eric and I went there and they, she dropped us off and was going to pick us up in the morning. You know, the tickets went on sale at 10. So you had to camp out for your spot to get in line. So we got there and we didn't realize it was going to be that cold. And I'm trying to think when the tickets went on sale because the show was in January. So this was January of 87 is when the show happened. So I'm guessing this, these tickets, it might've been like November or something. We bought them, something like that. But it was freezing. Like, I mean, freezing. We thought we were going to die out there. And this guy, it was the, the show originally was supposed to be rat with cheap trick opening up. And I think that was right around the time lap of luxury was coming out and they ended up dropping off the tour for some reason. And they added poison who none of us had ever heard of really at the time. And that ended up being a cool thing too, because they did an autograph signing at uh, JR. I still have my autographed uh, look with the cat dragged in record from that as first rock stars ever met, but they, uh, you know, get ahead of myself. Anyway, we camped out in the alley and there was this guy there that they called the trickster. And we didn't know any of these people, man. We were, we were the youngest kids there. 
and they're all you know they're all off there smoking weed and stuff and drinking in their cars and uh this guy felt sorry for us and he was partying in a different car so he said if you guys want to sit in my car so you don't freeze you can and we did so we like climbed in the back seat of this car and we're just like hanging out back there trying to fall asleep and i remember at one point one of us like kicked the parking brake or something and the car started rolling across the parking lot. It was like, it was the whole night was just like, was bizarre. And then, you know, January rolls around. And by that time, I think, I don't, I think talk dirty to me was, it had to be because when we, when they did the in-store, there was a weird, this is going to be a tough one to tell without going off on a tangent here and there. But so they did, they announced this in-store for Poison. And you go and if you bought the record, they'd, they'd sign it, kind of thing. It was like I think it was five ninety nine on sale. So we went and we got in line, and we were just barely inside the door of JR's in Northwoods Mall. Then there was still a line going like all the way out. It was crazy. I've never seen anything like it. So we get through the line, and I remember being shocked because thus, you know, I've been holding this record in my hands the whole time, you know, waiting to get up there, and I've seen these guys on TV. Like they were on the, you know, whatever the countdown was thing. And, uh, and I remember thinking these, they don't look anything like the cover. Cause they were so dialed up on the cover and like so heavily glammed. And a couple of those guys, if you've ever met them are, you know, they're pretty manly looking in, in person, like without all that stuff on. So I was kind of shocked, but I, <laughs> without getting too crass about it, you know, there were, four or five of us that went to this thing and the old there was one guy that was with us that was three or four years older than the rest of us he's the one that drove and somehow or another they appointed him quote unquote pussy patrol and they told him hey you round up girls and bring them here and we'll get you you know you can get backstage that way so he got somehow or another he was like that that was his job was to find girls to bring to this backstage door which was ridiculous. And they, they never, they didn't let any of us backstage. That was a cry. We had really good tickets though. So I didn't really care, but his whole thing was, oh, I'm never going to go backstage. Nobody got left backstage. The girls that he brought over there got let backstage, but none of the dudes did. So it was a total scam and I've never really gotten over that. But, um, <laughs> but I, I didn't care because I, I had never been to a concert before and I didn't have any inkling at all what I was getting myself into. I was, I remember, first of all, they, they weren't going to let me in because when they wanted me with the metal detector thing, uh, my, I had a hooded sweatshirt on and it kept going off around my neck. And they're like, do you have jewelry? I don't, I was like, I don't have any jewelry on. And I may have like an earring or something in, you know, whatever was cool in 1987. And, but I had no jewelry and they just kept doing it. I was like, I said, look, I have looked at my, Sure, everything, and they finally let me through. But I was panicking, like, oh, if I don't, you know, I didn't know. It's like if I don't pass the metal detector, do I? They're gonna throw me out. But so we got in, and we had like, what does our seat say on this? We were like tenth row, I think. Yeah, we're on the floor, section C, at row ten, seat one. So we, we had, you know, dead center seats. It was awesome, man. So once that thing started, and I saw how massive it was. I just kind of stood. I don't even know if I clapped. I just kind of stood there with my jaw hanging open. And I'm to the point where all the guys made fun of me afterwards. Like, man, what was up with that? I was like, I don't know, man. I just was, I mean, I was completely overwhelmed by the whole spectacle of it. And poison were great. They weren't, uh, 
the tightest players in the world, obviously, but um, but they were cool. And I remember one thing in particular that I thought was hilarious. C.C. DeVille had like this some kind of like shiny jacket on, and he spent forever every time he'd go to do anything, the part of his jacket would flop over the top of the guitar, and he was, he spent more time trying to push that piece of his jacket out of the way than he did actually playing. But they were great. And then when Rat came on, it was this whole other level of production. And then my mind was totally blown. And I remember Bobby Blotzer had his, they played like the Tonight Show theme or something in the middle of his drum solo. And he came down and the six pack of beer descended from the rafters. And he popped one open and took a swig and then chucked it out. Kind of it was, I mean, it was, it was total shtick, but it was super cool. And it probably, I mean, it probably ruined my life now that I think about it, because there was no going back at that point, but um, it was just, and I couldn't tell you the set list or anything like that at all. You know, I, all I know is I just stood there in awe. And I remember also when Rat came out, like two of them ran down the ramps, but I remember Robin Crosby was just like a giant and he lumbered down. It was like, it was the craziest thing. He looked like he was, he was moving at you know quarter speed compared to the rest of them, but he was just a giant dude, which I know, I guess I never realized that from watching the videos or anything, but he was huge. They were, they were great. You know, it was one of those things where it's like, there's just not anything that's not cool about this. Everything. I loved everything about it. So yeah, that was, uh, that was my initial foray into the, uh, you know, seeing arena shows. I, and in fact, I don't even think up till that point I had seen anything, more elaborate than my uncle Dave's cover band at the Cliffwood in Morton. I don't think I'd seen anything bigger than that. Oh, wow. So that so would have been my like, mind yeah, was blown. A pivotal moment in your uh, youth. Oh yeah. I mean, I could still see that. I, I, you know, it's just weird. The, the little flashes of memory that you get from those things, but there's some stuff from that show that just are, they're rooted in there, man. I will never forget that and i also remember they had a there was like an ice sculpture in the out in front of the civic center and we were running because we were trying to catch up with remember we chased the bus we were like we chased poison's bus back to the thing after the (laughs) after the autograph thing like that we're going to keep up and they're going to let us roll in with them or something and we were running across the like across the grounds and i don't remember if he hit one of the the lines that was holding the sculpture up or if he just slipped in it but uh one of the guys was with just biffed it and like was covered in slushy water, like completely slid through this stuff and was all pissed off. Cause he had to go in all soaking wet. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was badass, man. It was a great show. It sounds like your night or whatever with that show and the whole experience sounds like what that Detroit rock city movie. <laughs> it, it was, it, it wasn't quite as dramatic. There were no strip clubs involved. Um, and it wasn't, I mean, nobody, we, our tickets never got confiscated or anything. So it was, but yeah, it was, it was an adventure. And it was also weird too, because that was like, like I said, my parents were splitting up. And prior to that, man, my dad was really super strict. So we didn't, you know, I didn't get to do a lot of cool stuff like that. But my mom, you know, she, she's super cool and was super cool back then. Or that she just didn't, you know, four kids didn't have time to worry about the, the oldest one. He'll, he'll be okay. I got three more if something happens to him. But, um. <laughs> you know, I had never, I didn't have a driver's license. I wasn't old enough to drive yet. Uh, and she just trusted me to go with these guys and 
you know, do whatever. And uh, I guess she just thought, and I remember I came home. I also didn't realize, I totally forgot about this. I, t- I didn't realize, I mean, I, when I was there, I realized it was loud. It's like, oh my God, you know, when it starts, but I didn't realize I, how bad I blew my ears out. So when I got home man, I put that poison record on the turntable and it was one in the morning or something, you know, and put that on and started listening to it. And my mom busted in my room. Like, what are you doing? I was like, what? Like, she's like, do you know how loud that is? When I look <laughs> the slider on my, my little piece of shit stereo was on like nine. It was just ripping. Loud. To me, it sounded like I had it on three. I thought I was being respectful, but I, my ears were just blown out. So, yeah, oh, it was a. Uh, it was eventful all the way around. Yeah. I was actually going to ask what your first like show was anyway. So that kind of, I guess I can check that off my. Yes. Wednesday, January 14th, 1987. And even though it says jam, Jay Goldberg presents rat with cheap trick, it was rat and poison. And I don't remember if cheap trick, and maybe the flame had hit the charts or something and they didn't want to, you know, they wanted to go out the headline or something. I just remember it was weird when they dropped off a bit and, poison but now you know i don't have any regrets now i've seen cheap trick a million times since then but at the time i was like oh man it's a drag but you know even though cheap trick weren't particularly cool you know at that at that point at least not to my friends i thought it was cool so um when did um you see cheap trick for the first time then oh my god dude. <laughs> that's a good question man i don't even know i don't think um let's see i remember they played the grand reopening of the madison and i couldn't go to that and then they played steamboat days and it was wall-to-wall people like crazy i didn't go to that man you know what it may have been not until i went to it might have been 1999 maybe 98 whenever they did the three-night stand at the house of blues in uh, hollywood where they did the first, they did the first three records each night. They would do a, a whole album front to back, and then like a little encore set. Oh, cool! And uh, Shane, it would have had to have been maybe it was '99 then because I was, I was already in Best of Seven or working with those. Probably was in the band already, and we flew out for that. And the funny thing about that is we got there in the afternoon, and I, maybe our flights were delayed or something. Just messed up it was me and Joanne and. Uh, we got to the first place we went was uh, third encore rehearsal where our, my drummer Rob worked at. And I didn't understand why we were stopping there. But so we walked in and we go down and that place has like a big, like a, a size rehearsal building where like, you know, Motley would do rehearsals and stuff. And then they had three slightly, actually a lot smaller rooms that sometimes we would use them if they weren't, if they weren't rented out. We use them to rehearse in or we did. I remember we did a showcase there one time. But um, in the very last room, we're walking down. I couldn't hear any bands playing or anything. And all I could think was, man, I just want, I got to eat some lunch, man. I'm dying. I, I'm so hungry. And we walk, there's these guys sitting on these couches out in, in the little like lounge area. And we walk right by them and then out the door and back around the building. And Rob's like, check it out, man. How cool is that? And I was like, what? And he goes, dude, that was Tom Peterson and Bunny Carlos sitting right there. And I was like, what? Uh, all I could think of was that one of them was eating a cheeseburger from McDonald's or something. And that's all I could think of was I was watching the burger itself, smelling the food. I couldn't, I didn't even make any contact whatsoever with them at all. I mean, there was no, 
realization of who they were, nothing. And then I was like, God, well, now I can't walk back in there, you know, but they were there <laughs> trying to, they were relearning the songs from the, uh, for those shows. They, they had like booked out a couple days there to rehearse and play the stuff that they didn't normally ever play anymore in their set. So they were having to go back and, and Rick was trying to like learn all the solos correctly. And I think they were recording maybe too. So they had been in there. And I, I remember thinking too, Rob saying that somebody had told him that Robin had like bronchitis and that he was really worried about being able to sing. And he was, you could tell he was sick. He didn't look super healthy at the shows, but he sang his ass off and it was like, you know, total, you know, game changer watching that guy lie. I had never seen that before. A guy that was that good. He's still my favorite singer, rock singer of all time, but yeah. So those, and those shows were cool and the, and the shows themselves were crazy. And, you know, I saw all these, you know, celebrities, I saw CC DeVille standing down front air jamming along with them, like totally geeking out. Never realized he was a, such a huge cheap trick fan, but he was totally geeking out the front road where like they noticed him. I remember Tom Peterson, like pointing at him and laughing kind of thing like, Hey, what's up? But, uh, those were just great shows, man. And then I've seen him. I can't tell you how many times since I've seen him all over the place. One of the only bands we haven't gotten to open for that would really, I'd like to tick that off my list, but it has not happened yet. Hmm. Yet. Yet. Yeah. Keyword there. Yeah. Yeah, because didn't they play like, like something, or um, um, what was the show that you guys were trying to get on at the limelight? Was that the Rick Springfield one? Rick Springfield, yeah. Um, okay, because for a second I thought it was, too, but uh, yeah, yeah, I thought it was Cheap Trick for a second. But I don't know if I don't know if we chased that one down or not. But I remember the Rick Springfield one. We had actually gotten through and spoken to somebody, and it was a, I don't remember what the if he even ended up having an opener or something. I can't remember what the deal is. Maybe it was going to be like an evening with show or something where he didn't have an opening act. I can't remember, but yeah, we haven't opened for him either. And that needs to, that needs to change at some point too. That'd be great. But, uh, yeah. Um, I'll just pretend that maybe they thought that you would have showed him up or something. They're like, eh, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we intimidate people. Our, our massive, uh, success. It really precedes us. You know, we don't, we really try to dumb it down a little bit so as to be able to play on other bills, you know, as a support <laughs> act. But yeah, no, I, I doubt. I don't think Rick Springfield's worried about anybody at this point showing him up. I think he's probably made his point. He's all right. Um. So what's another one that like stood out when you were um, digging out uh, your book of uh, ticket stubs? Well, there's a bunch of there's a handful of Kiss shows in here. There's a few things I forgot I even went to. Man, to be honest with you, there was couple there's two or three different kiss stubs in here a bunch of backstage passes for shows that i maybe got, i got through the store uh there's a white zombie one in here I, I do remember going to that after work uh let's see oh slaughter from the civic center theater that was a, that show was funny man the, the bass player uh perry richardson that's in uh he was in firehouse was the opening act and he is in striper now and he still looks exactly the same. He has this super huge curly head of hair. And I remember during firehouse's set that for a while there, firehouse is kind of like great white was the band for a long time, but they were like the opening act that was on every single show. It was like, they, it was weird. It was like, there must've been five of them out on the road, like five different firehouses. I don't know how they played all these different shows, but they, 
they opened this slaughter show and they were really good, man. They, you know, they sang great, played well, and they were huge at that point. So at one point the drummer was doing like one of his, you know, stick tricks and he, and it, he tossed this stick up in the air and it bounced off. Like he had like a cage, like all you know, drummers had those big giant ridiculous cages, but my drummer had one too. But anyway, the stick came down and he didn't catch it and it bounced off of like a ride symbol or something. And it shot up in the air and it came down and it stuck right in Perry Richardson's hair to the point, like it was poking out like an antenna and it was stuck in there so good. And he was playing, he couldn't you know, do, do anything about it. A roadie came out and spent about 30 seconds trying to extract that thing from his mop. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like it took him a minute. He couldn't figure because the guy has so much hair. This thing had like, Somehow it got twisted up in there, but he did, you know, he did finally pull it out of there. But it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely chuckle worthy for sure. So yeah, that was that one's in here. Um, I get there's uh, once again, and that was a funny show too. Uh, so let, let's see, that one is the Pacific Center Theater with Slaughter is ninety one. Looks like maybe can't tell. Yeah, because this is ninety three. So I saw. Went and saw Poison on the, um, what was the Native Tongue, the one that had Richie Kotzen on it, after they fired C.C. DeVille or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we went to that tour, and I didn't even go. I mean, I wanted to see Richie Kotzen because I, I thought he was a monster, but I was really excited because the show was Poison, Damn Yankees, and I didn't care about Damn Yankees. I already seen them like three times. Um, Poison, Damn Yankees, uh, somebody else maybe and life sex and death who i was super into and i really want to see this guys lsd dropped off the bill and firehouse got added but no big deal they were really good but what was a bummer about it is that firehouse was supposed to headline the madison theater and my band we had gotten the nod to be uh possibly the opener like we was like we were a shoe-in kind of thing we we're a perfect band for it and then they canceled their madison show to jump on that poison tour and we were devastated so it would have been our first you know we played there once before but we never played you know with a band like that where it would have been like a total guaranteed sellout kind of thing so but that show was was pretty cool otherwise damn yankees are always really good poison was remember richie cotson just chucked his guitar in the air and let it hit the stage i thought that was pretty badass but yeah i mean there's a lot in here dude i mean i saw nelson dude (laughs) (laughs) saw nelson at the civic center theater with house of lords opening up and i it was the weirdest feeling of like being the only dudes there it was me and my singer shannon and her buddy woody and i swear to god might have seen like three or four other guys it was just all chicks screaming for them felt really weird but uh they were great they're really great live uh i've got saigon kick in here from normal Illinois. Oh, here's a good one. Uh, World Series of Rock. It was supposed to be at Hancock Stadium in Normal, and it didn't sell very well. It was White Snake on the Slip of the Tongue tour, so it was it was supposed to be White Snake, Great White, Bad English, who had just come out, and this band called Havana Black. That I don't know whatever happened to them, but they didn't play. They ended up not being on the bill. So the ticket sales were slow for it, I think. So they moved it inside to what's the arena there? Is it Redbird? Is that the old 
think Moody yeah, and I think the there's I think it was Redbird, Redbird yeah. and then there's like Braden Auditorium, I think too. Yeah, it wasn't Braden, it was the big one. It was it was Redbird. So they moved it inside, and this is was unfortunate for this person because so Bad English were they did their opening set, they were great. Dean Castronova was like a monster. And then Great White, again, they were on every show we ever went to almost. They were the middle band, and during their set, um, it, because it had been a stadium thing, they had it was set up for like the stadium tickets for general admission. So if you have, let me see what mine says on it. Uh, yeah, general admission. So what they did was they just made the floor, which up until that point I'd never been to a concert where the floor was general admission. So they made all the floor general admission, and then people that had the you know bleacher seats, whatever, they got the lower bowl. They reassigned to lower bowl seats. So we could kind of just go wherever we wanted in the building with these general admission tickets. I mean, not backstage, anywhere in the, you know, seating where the fans could be. So my bass player, Jeff and I, and I can't remember who else was with us, but I know the two of us were wandering around together. And at one point I kept seeing something moving up in the, in the light rig. And, you know, I mean, they don't do it anymore so much. I don't think that they used to have like those people that would sit in the follow spots and, and, you know, make the spotlights move yeah. back before everything was, you know, automated and stuff. So I just thought it was somebody like a rigger that was up there moving around. And it turns out, man, it was this girl. And she was dropping, she was smoking a cigarette, I think, and dropping like, it looked like rose petals maybe or something on the keyboard player while he was playing. So he kept looking up like, man, what the fuck is that? Like, it, it just, the stuff kept raining down. You would see it kind of like glitter in the lights and stuff. So they ended up stopping the show and it was just some fan that had somehow managed to get her way up into the light rig and she had crawled out there and she was sitting up there. I, you know, maybe she was tripping out or something. I don't know what was going on, but she was just up there smoking and, you know, flicking ash and whatever else down on him while he was playing. So they get the band off the stage and they, we're going to, their idea was because she wouldn't come down they couldn't get to her and she refused to come down. So they were going to just lower the truss with her on it. <laughs> so they brought in, I remember it was crazy because they, I remember an ambulance backed up and they brought in, uh, they put wrestling mats down on the stage that they brought from backstage and like tried to pad the stage in case she fell and she didn't want to, she did not want to be caught. So she climbed down and you know how like those line array speakers, how they, the big, PA speakers that are flown, they kind of like curve, yeah. like almost like a J shape, you know? So she slid down onto those and she had her back to the, to the back of them. So you couldn't see her anymore. You could just see like her foot sticking out on one of the wheels. And they started trying to lower that truss down and it like it jerked and she fell and she fell like, I don't know, man, 40 feet maybe and landed on her head like like but on her neck kind of like she fell like flat and the ambulance pulled up to the stage they wheeled her out uh and drove off the house lights went back down again and there was a little bit of a pause i remember at one point jeff and i walked around and we're like we went to the lower bowl to see if we get like a sight line so we could gauge how far that was and it was crazy how far she fell i thought man she's got to be dead there's no way she's she survived that so few minutes pass, goes dark in there again. Jack Russell comes strolling back on stage. And I remember his first words were something, and this may not be exact, but to this effect, watch that first step. It's a bitch. 
<laughs> and they kick right into the song and they finish their show out like nothing happened. Oh, it was man. the weirdest thing, man. <laughs> so he was racking up karma points even back then. But um, Shit, yeah, yeah, so that was that was pretty memorable. I, that was the first time I'd seen somebody potentially. And I don't think she died because there was something in the paper about it the next day. But she was definitely, you know, injured. She didn't, you know, get up and shake it off. I don't think once she got outside. But yeah, so that was a weird one. Don't see that every day. Yeah, I was going to ask if they finished their set or, like, if it was, like, what happened. But, man, that's crazy. Now they, they came out and threw down, and then, and then Whitesnake went on after them, did a whole headlining show, and were great. They were – that was – I'd never seen them either. And Steve Vai, it was when Steve Vai was in the band, and it was that was just, like, watching magic tricks all night. He was ridiculous. I felt bad for Adrian Vandenberg. Like, I wouldn't want to be in a, the other guitar player in a band with that guy. There's just no way, man. He knew like he was trying. He was doing all this crazy stuff, but he's like he, you know, might as well just yawned every time he did one of those weird solos or something. He just it looked effortless for him. It was, it was cool though, man. They were they were really good. I know they were kind of a lot of people kind of crap on that record because it was, you know, super produced or whatever. But live, they were great. It was a that's really tight band. I saw Winger up there in Bloomington too at the Braden Auditorium with Extreme. Oh, that's a good one too. That's a funny story. Uh, Winger, I've told this a million times, but Winger, Extreme was the middle band. It was right when More Than Words was hitting. And uh, Tangier was the opening band. They had two albums on Atlantic Records. And their singer, this is memorable for me because they came out, and Braden, I don't know if Braden had like an orchestra pit or something that they covered up, but the stage had like a slight slope like they wanted you know in case it got rained on or something you know obviously it wouldn't it's inside but you know saying like where everything just kind of ran down at a tiny tiny grade so i remember he came running out at one point he had cowboy boots on and his feet just went straight up in the air and he bounced on his ass across that stage and went fell down into like the little crew area (laughs) and had to get back up it was super (laughs) embarrassing man and then he, so they, he got up and they proceeded to do their, you know, their thing. And they were, they're good. They're kind of like a, you know, diet Cinderella or something. They might've even been from that same area, but they, uh, and then later on he switched cause he had a wireless mic when he fell off the stage cause you could hear it bouncing. And then he switched to a, a regular mic with the cord and he was doing, trying to do that. <laughs> the Roger Daltrey thing where you swing the mic out around your neck and stuff. Yeah. And he didn't catch it and it bounced across the stage. And I thought, man, this guy's just not. Don't buy a lottery <laughs> ticket after this show, dude, because this is not your day. It was just, and he, you could just tell he was embarrassed. It was like, you know, probably their first big tour and went out and, you know, he just shit the bed all night long. But yeah, so that was funny. And um, yeah, Extreme was really good. I was into them anyway, but they were really good that night. I don't remember very much about Winger other than they were. You know, I can picture the stage and stuff. I don't really remember a whole lot about them. They were, I mean, I'm sure they were great. There's, uh, what's, here's one for, uh, oh yeah, this is my first time I saw a, a band that I was a fan of that had been demoted to the club level. I went and saw Quiet Riot at Doc Rocks in Peoria on October 22nd, 1992. Um, where was Doc Rocks at? What was that? It's in that strip down there, like across from um, what's the pizza place on the uh, corner hoops. down there, Judge's Chamber. Hoops, yeah, it's kind of across from that. 
Oh, okay. Uh, it's been a million different things, but every couple of years they would change it. I think it was one of those Dwayne Cassano owned clubs and they, they played, it was right when Kevin Dubrow had come back to the van. So it wasn't, and I, dude, I saw them, I saw them play JJ's quote unquote rock palace a couple of years after that it was even more tragic than this thing was. But this was like right after Kevin came back, they did that one album where they had Paul Shortino singing. And, uh, so it was just Kevin and Carlos Cavazzo and this guy, I think his name, it might've been Kenny Hillary on bass then. And they had the drummer that Bob, Bobby Rondinelli was the drummer looked kind of like, he looked a little bit like Frankie, but, um, and it was just weird because I'd never been to at that point. I it was, you know, I had gone from seeing arena shows that, you know, and then, but I was kind of almost too young to get into bars and stuff. I was just getting old enough to be into and going to bars and stuff. So that's probably my, that's probably why it was my first one. I might have just turned twenty one, but um, I just remember thinking how sad it was because it, <laughs> it was it was cool. It was a really cool club. We ended up playing there, but it was just weird to see a band that I'd only ever seen them like on in videos with on these big stages playing this little stage, you know what I mean? Like, the, and they came in out of the alley to walk on stage. Like they, you know, when they do their encore, they just basically have to go stand out in the alley and then, you know, come back in and go on stage. It was just sad. It was like, I, I at that point, all I had seen for, you know, I guess what I would call like re, to me was a, a real band, like an MTV band. I didn't, I, I never thought about the fact that they have to go back to doing what they did before they were popular. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah, I, I always thought once you got there, you know, I, I don't know. I, the workings of the, of the music machine were not familiar to me yet. I wasn't thinking that, you know, looking that far into it. So to see a band that had been, you know, was one of the first albums I ever bought was metal health. And now they're playing doc rocks where, you know, there were cover bands I knew that played there the same stage and drew more people, you know? So it was just weird. And then, you know, then I continue to see them, you know, over the years, uh, play all kinds of places through central Illinois where it's like, man, like this must be a nice payday. Cause otherwise I can't see why you'd want to do this, but they, uh, but they always showed up and kicked ass. Whoever was in the band, you know, Kevin never, you know, looked like he was bummed out to be there. He always came in and kicked ass, but I saw him play one night in Creve Coeur, Illinois. And I remember sitting off to the side and these two girls, they went into like, you know, come on, feel the noise or something. And these two women got up and started doing, what we called the, the peak and bar dance cigarette, in one hand, beer in the other. And, uh, the little shuffle thing they, I don't think they knew it was really quiet. Riot. I think they just thought it was another band that did quiet riot really well. And they just got up there. There were the only two people standing from the stage dancing. And I thought, God, how depressing is that, man? Like, it was just, you know, but, you know, paycheck's a paycheck. It was probably like a Tuesday night or some shit. So they're just happy to get their money and go back to the Ragon Motel to sleep it off. So, yeah. Yeah, because there's stuff so that, like that where when I was working for um, GLO, they would book people for like the Heart of Illinois Fair. And they used to get bigger bands, I guess. And they would play like at, what was it, Richwoods? Like their little... Oh, yeah. Out on the track. Yeah, out on the track there. And I guess maybe it's because yep. like, I don't know if the budget got smaller or or like what... Oh, dude, the I, attendance saw, dropped I saw down. a bunch of oh. grandstand shows there. Because it was free. Anybody could... I, dude, I saw uh, Ario Speedwagon there. 
Uh, oh, damn. 38 Special. Uh, Cutting Crew, which was awesome. Glass Tiger. I even went and saw Karen White, the R&B chick. She's great, too. Um, Joan Jett played there one year. They got really good acts when they had that grandstand. I saw Oleander there when that, that when they were popular. Um, and then I don't know when that happened when they switched over to not doing that kind of stuff. Usually it was like second-tier country acts and bands are either on the way up, on the way down, or in the middle like bands like one year it was supposed to be lover boy and lover boy couldn't do the gig and they brought survivor down from chicago which was awesome because i'm a huge survivor fan so we went and saw that but they were free you paid your you know 10 bucks to get into the the heart of Illinois affair and you know all that stuff all the entertainment was free you know you had to buy your obviously your passes for the rides and stuff but the show just came with it now if you went to the state fair you expected to buy a ticket because they had to you know the bigger headliners and stuff but now the part of Illinois was always up until I don't know when those were always free grandstand shows it was cool yeah because you like I guess reminded me of it because like I was too young for those but by the time I was like 1920 and was working for the station they moved it into like a huge like tent or something and I think I think one year uh, they got Buck Cherry. Like they were one of those things yeah. where you were saying they were kind of maybe on the downward slide, but then I think they got them uh, right before at like a cheaper rate, right before they blew back up with Crazy Bitch or something. Yep. But then it kind of changed where a couple of years later uh, they were like the shows got smaller, so they were playing in like uh, in this barn or something. And how you said the backstage, yeah. Like they- that- yeah. I remember that because they had like Ace Fraley and Skid Row and stuff. Yeah, because like played. it was like there was no backstage. Was the Opera House? Yeah, the it was like Opera, Opera House? House or a barn, but there was like basically a barn door and there was like no backstage. It's like you basically went around the backdrop and there was a barn door and they went outside. So I kind of felt bad for some of those guys like, you know, Skid Row who were like, as you said, playing arenas and now they're almost in like a barn like where nobody's at. Man, it's, it, you know, I felt, like I said, I felt bad for Quiet Riot, but only because I didn't realize the economics of how that stuff, you know, after a certain point, man, it's just, you know, you gotta, you gotta eat. So I, a lot of those guys, man, I don't think too many of them take that stuff personally. I, I'm sure Skid Row, who are so used to doing fly-in dates, are absolutely unfazed, you know? I mean, it's, there's always those shows where you show up and it's like, man, how are we going to get our gear on that stage? And I'm sure that happens to everyone else. But most of the time, man, those guys show up and it's a, you know, the back line is there. They, they just fly in with guitars and pedal boards and, you know, wireless microphone or whatever. They don't bring their own drums or amps or anything. So they get, you get used to that stuff after a while. It's just kind of the, goes to the territory, but I mean, it's better than, flipping burgers or digging ditches or whatever it is they say. I mean, that's, I guess they probably, and Skid Row, I think I've got it figured out, but like Buck Cherry, man, they've been up and down that ladder three times. So there's probably nothing that surprises them at this point. I mean, the first show best of seven ever played was with Buck Cherry. Oh, really? And it was the night. Yeah. It was the night. I think their the first album came out lit up was on the radio. We played the infirmary with them. And we were supposed to play with them the night before in, uh, where was it at? Maybe Milwaukee or something. And somebody dropped the ball. They were thought we were playing the gig, and we didn't get the we weren't we weren't notified, so it was a weird thing. But yeah, so we played with them there, and then there wasn't even 
I mean, if there's 200 people there, I'd be shocked. And that was when that song was just starting to take off. So those guys have seen it all, man. And I played with Josh Todd since then. I played with Josh Todd twice when I was in Bombshell Crush. We did two shows with his solo band, one in Nashville and one in Birmingham, Alabama. And the Birmingham one was like, I don't know, just a couple weeks into the tour. And they had an RV, but they'd started the tour with a bus and they, the shows were not selling well. So they went down to an RV. By the time they got to Nashville, which was like two and a half, three weeks later, they were down to a van. They were just like slowly whittling it down. And he had a really young band. It's DVD. The guys in the band now, the lead guitar player, he was the merch guy. He was their tour manager. He wasn't even in the band. He was the, he was the Josh Todd solo tour manager guy. He was super cool. But when we played with him in Birmingham, he was so bummed out and just like not into it. He wanted us to close. So we ended up playing after Josh Todd. So, you know, you can let your ego get the best of you, but I mean, it's just the way it is, man. That feast or famine thing is legit, (laughs) legit. And it doesn't, you know, good years and, Sadly, usually there's more bad years than there are good years, but a guy, a band like that, man, to even get the fact that they got a second shot was pretty miraculous, I'd say, you know. So, yeah. And they're, the, I mean, I guess they do okay now. Is the show where you said you opened up for um, Buck Cherry here, is that when you were wearing the big uh, blue, like, Muppet-looking <laughs> uh, jacket? No. No, I don't think I owned that yet. I, maybe I did. I don't think I had that then. No, that was... Uh, that might have been a headlining show there, or it was with. It might have been with Enough's Enough. We played there. We played there with Union. We played there with Enough's Enough. We played there with Buck Cherry. Uh, God, I can't remember who else. But we played there a handful of times. But yeah, I, I wouldn't have worn that at a Buck Cherry show. I don't think. <laughs> I don't even know if I. Have, in fact, I don't. I don't think I have pictures from that Buck Cherry. I have it. I found the autographed album flat that they signed for me that night. I brought one from the store. And I had this because it's signed to co-op. I guess I should probably frame it and put it up at the shop. I never did, but it's it was in the drawer with this photo album. Oh damn! They were really good. I, I, I you know, I like about seventy-five percent of what those guys put out. I actually really like that new record a lot. But they were they were nice guys too, man. Josh wasn't the most talkative dude, but that's a typical singer thing, you know. And he knew that was funny too because he knew when we got there. Shane and Brian knew him from Needle Damage Done and played with his old band, the band that they had before Best of Seven. So there was connection there. So he was real cool with them, but you know, up to that point, he's kind of standoffish and stuff. But yeah, that was a good, that was a good night. But what I, what I remember about it was was cool. Is there anything like you said that album flat? Is there anything else you came across today that kind of like uh, jogged your memory about something? Oh, dude, I found. I found a bunch of photos from the, I was going to send one to you, uh, from the kiss, the 1996 kiss convention tour. I found a shot of me with Bruce Kulick, but I looked like I had a stroke while the pictures being taken. And one of my eyes is half closed from the flash or something. But, um, I found my foundations forum, uh, laminate from 1995 when Bob and I went out to, to Los Angeles, uh, as representatives of co-op so they could be on a panel. I found that. I found my my lanyard and pass from Buzzfest, the first Buzzfest, and it was the 
this is a weird thing. I'll try and distill this down to why it was so cool. But um, we, I was, I was here in Nash. I lived in Peoria then, but I was in Nashville. Um, came down just for this show to hang out with my buddy Josh, and we ended up running into a guy that used to be a DJ at 99X, uh, Russ Shank, Russell the Love Muscle, and <laughs> he. Uh, he gave us VIP passes so we could just go into the VIP tent and get free drinks and stuff all day. And the show, this is the show that you, I don't know if you've ever heard about this, but SR 71 and some 41s road crew got in a fight after the show. It was, no, it was funny. It was like on, that. it was on like the MTV news and stuff. And it was just funny. Cause they got in this, they were making S they were some 41 were making fun of some set. Yeah, this is so hard to keep track of. Some 41 was making fun of SR 71 on stage and it, they had some kind of little feud going and it turned into some kind of little brawl, but it was a super cool show. And, uh, the thing that was awesome about it was the, while I was there seeing this thing, Shane and Brian were signing our first management deal with union because I remember seeing Nickelback earlier in the day and they were nobody. They were like, they're where they, they're like one, two, three, four, four up on the bill. They were like, a blip at that point but they were on the same management as us so it was like a cool thing to go say oh, look at these what these guys are doing maybe that'll happen for us kind of thing um and i pissed the singer from eve six off somehow i still don't know how he stank eyed me for a solid 30 minutes so um but yeah yeah so I, I found that and then there's a bunch of black photos and stuff and a bunch of photos and guitar, tons of guitar picks in here i don't know how i got a wild side guitar pick that's a that's a, was the one of the odd ones but I got all these bunch of guitar picks stuck in here in this photo album. Uh, where are they at? Some autograph pictures, a bunch of backstage passes for Mr. Big. And let's see. I got an autograph Guardian picture. Some Warrant guitar picks, Warrant backstage passes. A bunch of pictures from that Kiss convention tour uh i don't know who dressed me that day but it's terrible um, <laughs> um you're reminding me of like uh when i was over at bob's house and he was showing me stuff from his room because he's actually oh, so organized with the stuff he's got like book after book of photo albums but then he's not only got his ticket stub He's got like clippings from like the Journal Star in there, and oh, then yeah. like a little piece of paper where he wrote down the order of the bands or like the date or whatever, and then even like photos and stuff. So it is like a cool scrapbook. Oh, he was so meticulous about yeah. that stuff, man. I remember the first time we got to go over there when I worked for him, uh, Pat and I went over there, and he had Jakey e. Lee's wristband from the Ultimate Sin show in Peoria that he'd thrown out in a in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> I was like, how do you even? get that man i mean that's it was just weird i mean i yeah say that and then i've got a you know we've got a busted paul stanley guitar downstairs that came from the peoria show but that was only because we knew somebody bob had to actually fight that out of the crowd you know it's not like he you know jake leaned down and personally gave it to him patted him on the head he would have had to catch that thing you know so yeah he's got he's he's the master of the trinkets man I, i don't know anybody that has that much or that vast of a collection of just you know random and it's all kinds of bands too it's not just you know i mean we all know the kind of stuff he's into but that he's got so much of that stuff and it's for you know covers all the bases it's crazy that working in a record shop dude that avails you of so much opportunity 
You know what I mean? Just because yeah. the weird promotional stuff you get and the labels, at least back then, they really wanted you to go to the shows and stuff. They were trying to do anything to get you to hype their records. So, you know, we got even like, you know, when I worked at the Peoria store, that we could get, could have got almost anything for free. Never knew if your t- seats were going to be fantastic or just garbage, but who cares? They're, you know, they're free. Yeah. So, you know, I would never have paid to see White Zombie, but I went for free and I loved it. So, and I saw a ton of shows like that, same same kind of thing. And some of the bands I ended up really liking, but, you know, I mean, I went and saw Typo Negative, and I was not a Typo Negative fan, but they came and did an in-store that day. So, and my girlfriend liked them. So, we went to that. Where somebody, that, there's one for you. Somebody passed out on us while we were standing there. And we got there late. And I, th- I want to say, sister, was it Sister Machine Gun that opened that show? Um, and we had to, so we had to like, stand, it was in the Madison Theater. And we had to stand along the, they had those giant curtains, those red curtains. And so we're standing along the side. And all of a sudden, I, we could feel something like on our feet. And we look down, there's a girl's head on our feet. She just like passed out <laughs> and like, kind of like, kind of like dragged past us and was just laying on top of our feet. I mean, somebody, they had to come carry her out, but. So yeah, so that had that kind of stuff happen a couple times. Um, luckily, never t- to myself. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, I did see. This is a cool one. Um, I went to the Sunset Strip Music Festival a few years back. They used, they did this thing where they block off Sunset, and uh, Motley was the headliner. And I don't know if you ever saw this because it, it made the news because people were really upset about it. But they, um, it was when Tommy had the you know, the spin, the, the big giant circle drum thing where he'd do the, you know, up just the loop roller coaster thing, not the one that went out in the crowd, but the loop one. Yeah. So they had this giant stage built out there, but for that event they brought, and I want to say somebody told me they went to Nickelodeon and got these things, but they got a slot, the slime cannons. Oh, I think like you Nickelodeon told me about shoot this that one slime. too. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they used those cannons and they loaded them with like this, I want to say it was red, it was supposed to be like blood or something. So at the very end, and I remember my buddy that worked for them saying, Hey, look, when they get to this song, you guys need to move back a couple blocks, and maybe like go stand up, up on the corner. And we're like, okay. So, and you could see they had plastic for the soundboard and stuff. It was just rolled back. And I thought it was just because in case it rains or something, it wasn't, it was for this. So they, when the last notes, of the last song hit, man, they hit that, button and those things went and it was the weirdest thing i've ever seen it was like slow motion and it was like this big cloud of like strawberry jello came out in the air it was huge dude it covered like look it felt like it was a whole block and it just kind of hung there in the air for a second and then it just (laughs) fell down and it splat and all these people had their phones out and stuff they're like filming the big finale so it ruined all these people's cell phones and I, it was just funny because afterwards, like all the bars along there in the clubs, people were, like tr- trying to come in because they're and they're covered in it. Their hair is like all gooped, and their clothes. People actually tried to sue them for it afterwards, I think, because it ruined so much stuff. I thought it, it looked super spooky when it happened, and then afterwards it was hilarious because you could see all these girls. That, you know, they were done up real nice and stuff, probably trying to get Vince Neil's attention, and then <laughs> the, they dropped this big thing of goop on them. It was, uh, but it was something to see because it, from the, you know, the angle that we were at, we were up high enough where it didn't even look real. It looked like a, like a special effect, 
like CGI or something, but it it was, uh, it was really cool. I I, probably not the best gimmick they could have thought of if they were trying to keep fans or anything, but I I thought it was cool. Is that the same one um, show that you told me too? I think where you were kind of almost like a pull back the curtain moment where, um, you told me that they are basically lip synced because they were like talking or whispering to each other when they're supposed to. Oh, well, I knew that. I mean, I knew they did that anyway, but yeah, my, um, so my old drummer Rob was working. He may still. He I think he works for Kiss now, but he was working for them at the time as like a carpenter. And uh, Mike, who's done some, Mike Nichols has done some video stuff for us. He was filming like some document. He's been making a movie about Best of Seven for twenty some years. It's never going to come out, but um, he was filming backstage. And at one point, he just happened to in in the frame like Rob was working and, and then, and, but in the frame are Vince and Nikki with their backs to the crowd and they're talking. Meanwhile, they're the backup vocals are happening while they're doing it. They're like, you know, saying something to one another. <laughs> There's clearly nobody really singing into the microphone. So, I mean, that's none of that stuff surprises me, man. I, I've, you know, I've walked, you know, and, you know, you've seen, keyboards behind the stage you're like well, what are those for and they're that was back before everybody used tracks they just sampled the vocals on a keyboard and there'd be a guy back there hitting the keys to do it so yeah but it, the, the fact that you just see it playing i mean anybody that thinks motley crew is playing 100 percent live needs to you know go get their ears and several other things checked but um yeah there was to, you know to see it like that you're like oh well they're not even trying to hide it really i mean other than kind of you know turning their back to the crowd a little bit but yeah that's uh that did indeed occur that was a true story <laughs> Let's see what else is on here or for a show like what is how um you said uh that you've opened up for like bands or like you were trying to open up for like cheap trick or Springfield? what's like mm-hmm. a moment from um, a show that you've opened up for one of those bands what stands out to you uh well, probably the most memorable thing. I mean, the biggest show I've ever done as an opener, I was playing guitar for Beauty School Dropouts, and we, for a, this is the weirdest combination, but we opened for 3 6 Mafia. And it was a big outdoor thing, and it was bizarre, but it was really super fun show. Um, but the most memorable like thing to happen on stage, we did a show. We did several shows with them, but we did a show with Warrant at uh, this place called Pops in Sauge, Illinois. Oh, yeah, I've been down there. It's it, a weird neighborhood. It <laughs> is, and, and you don't need to be out wandering around in there daylight or not. But um, <laughs> we did this show, and it was funny because we had played with them once before, and we were like, we weren't direct support. We were like, we were the low man on the totem pole. But this time, they, the club had liked us, and they had promoted us to direct support. And it was sold out, man. It was, you know, 15, 1,600 people, something like that. So we go out, and we're doing the typical big rock intro build-up thing, you know, slowly getting into the, you know, kicking off. And when we do, we turn around, and it goes full bore, and all of a sudden there's this total, like, you know, clang-clatter commotion thing coming from Brian's, our bass player side of the stage. And we're like, what the fuck? And I look over, and Brian is, like, getting up off the ground, and his bass is all out of tune. They're like, what the fuck happened, man? We didn't even really know what happened. We just knew that he had fallen. And his mic stand was knocked halfway over, and his bass rig was all cockeyed. And so they got him situated, and we we 
you know, between songs, we finished the song out with his bass completely out of tune and swapped his bass out uh, for a backup and play show. And luckily, and I still have this, um, we had somebody with a camcorder up in the, like in the balcony area that filmed it. So what had happened was, and I, it's a funny thing too, Matt, I had, in my head, there was a photographer down right in front of him with one of those big long lenses. And I thought that guy had somehow got under his feet and tripped him because it was that he was right there when it was happening. And so, and I'm already mad. I'm like, that, that guy, man, that dude tripped Brian ruined our show kind of thing. I think I had nothing to do with it. Brian spun around and, you know, tail of the tape revealed this, but he clipped the mic stand with his headstock of his bass. And then the part of the mic cord got tangled up. So he tripped and kind of went backwards and barreled into his bass amp, his Ampeg 810 cabinet, which luckily stayed up. And then he just kind of bounced up like a weeble, man. He was back up on his feet real quick, but it split his hand open. Like he cut his hand on the bridge of the bass. Uh, like I said, knocked his bass out of tune. So the whole first song was just like painfully out of tune. Uh, and his confidence was wrecked. You know, it's a full house. So, he, you know, he was all embarrassed and stuff. Um, yeah. And then I remember afterwards, and he doesn't like when I tell the story, but we went back to the hotel and Shane and I were rooming together and Brian and Rob were rooming together and Shane and I plugged that video camera in and we just watched that over and over again and just pissed ourselves laughing. It was the funniest thing to see because it just looked, it happened so fast. It, I had no idea Brian was that agile because he was back up so quickly. <laughs> it was, it didn't even look, it would look like it was spent, like somebody had sped the tape up. But he was, you know, he wasn't, he didn't think it was as funny as, as we did. Uh, which is understandable, you know, I probably wouldn't thought it was funny either, but yeah, so that was memorable. And it also meant just anytime you get those shows where you got, you know, I've done some shows with, like we've done some shows with Tom Kiefer and stuff where it's just, you walk out and the place is already packed, you know, it's their sold out shows. It's really hard to find a bone to pick with that, man. Cause it's almost like, as long as you don't drop the ball, you have, you know, there's the possibility you're going to pick up all these new fans, you know, that, that they were not there to see you. You know, but you wanted to leave, you know, to remember what you did. So it better be good. So those are always cool, you know, that are just getting to mark. You know, there's one off the bucket list of some band that you really, you know, any of these, honestly, man, for me, I was such a geek about all these bands when I was a kid that anytime I get to play with one of those, you know, some somebody that's in my personal record collection, it's always cool. So like, yeah, that was an awesome one when um, I came down to see you guys. Uh, with uh, Tom Kiefer at the uh, Top Golf thing. Yeah, that was a great show. Well, I mean, we've done. I mean, we got to play with. I was when I was a kid, I was a massive White Lion fan. I loved Vito Brada, and we got to do a show, an acoustic show, with Mike Tramp a few years back. And the dude was couldn't have been any cooler, you know, like completely, you know, humble, no attitude. You know, he was just traveling, just him and his son all over the country doing these shows and just killing it, man. Just him with an acoustic guitar, you know, just killing it. And it was super nice. And it was just, you know, you never know, man, because you get, because we play with other acts that aren't cool, you know, and then it's a drag because you're like, ah, well, I mean, I'll still be a fan because, you know, I, you don't have to be cool for me to like your music or whatever. But, you know, when you do meet somebody like that where they're, you know, or Kiefer, same thing, his band have always been really good to us. So, those ones are, are great. It's just, 
you know, you don't know until the day of kind of thing. And usually there's been times we played shows where we maybe didn't get treated that great, but it's almost always the crew that are the assholes. You know, we played with Breaking Benjamin years ago and their crew were dicks. I mean, and not just to us, but like to everybody. So you get that sometimes. You can't really hold that against the band necessarily. I mean, other than, hey, why'd you hire these guys? But, you know, I get it. It's the, you know, nobody in the band wants to be a bad guy. So they'll have your road crew go treat the opener like crap. But, you know, I can deal with it if it, you know, means we're going to play in front of a big crowd. But, you know, I'll suck it up. Um, it's only were... when you get jerked around on sound or something that really sucks. Were you in Former then when you opened for uh, Breaking Benjamin or what band was that? N- no, it was Bombshell Crush. Uh, yeah, it was Bombshell for mm-hmm. that. I remember specifically because it was us and Luna Halo and and them. And I, I our singer was notorious for he was he is was blind as a bat man. He could not see crap those glasses. And he was notorious for <clears throat> unplugging a microphone and like dropping it. So in the very first song, it, we always said, you know, you have to tape those, you have to tape the mic cord in for people like that so they don't lose it. And sure as shit, man, nobody did it. And he lost his mic and it would roll underneath the drums somewhere. And so he just grabs my mic out of the mic stand. And it's like, uh, I got to sing too, dude. So what, what do I do now? It got sorted out. Our, our, our manager slash roadie guy ran out and, you know, got it fixed in side of five minutes but it was that thing of like how, how long you been doing this you don't know better than to tape that shit up but yeah so i do remember that show and i just remember them the they it was one of those deals where it wasn't so much that they were assholes but they set up their back lines so far forward that they left no room for the opening bands to set up so it was like you know the we were just falling over each other up there because there yeah. was no room for our gear yeah, you're basically at like the front of the stage or something. Yeah, and there was like, you know, that that's exactly why Michael ended up dropping the mic because the drums were up his ass, you know. He just couldn't move around. I've done, we've done a lot of shows like that where we had to set up, you know, across, like side by side. It, it happens, you know, but that one was – they had – I'd played that venue before, and we knew what they could have done. They chose to do that. It was a, it was a dick move kind of thing. It's like, oh, okay, well. We'll see how this one's going to go. But, uh, you know, they, like I said, you get that sometimes. And, you know, they probably were mad because the affliction shirts they ordered didn't show up on time or something. I don't know. It was, it was one of those deals where they were, they were dicks, you know. But I'm sure the band are nice guys, but the crew guy they had working that day or guys were not, were not particularly cool. So we've talked a lot about uh, stuff that you've, um you've like um opened up and then like a couple of shows you saw back in the day but what's like one that stands out to you like recently from something that you've attended like you bought a ticket for and you went to uh well i guess we could segue into the the mandalay bay incident that would be a good one i suppose good enough entries so i wasn't joking about the stabbing thing um we were going to Vegas for, I want to say it was Joanne's birthday, my girlfriend's birthday. And, uh, my brother and sister-in-law were coming to meet us out there. And John Marshall, Whitey Marshall, the, the DJ, he was living in Vegas at the time. 
And he said, hey, I can get you guys tickets to Tenacious D if you want to go. We're going to go tonight at uh, House of Blues in Mandalay Bay. And we're like, oh, cool. Never been there. Love Tenacious D. So we go, and it's really packed. And it's not one of the bigger House of Blues. It's a, you know, it's a good-sized venue, but it's not huge. So it was crowded. It had the typical House of Blues set up. There's the floor, then a little raised-up area where you can – there's some seating and then another level where the bar and stuff is. But it's, you know, it's a cool little spot. But the, I was, we were standing somewhere in the middle of all that, off to the off to the right, and um, there was this group of guys, man, that were just like playing grab ass, and they were all big, you know, no neck, beefy looking dudes, and they were, it was, you could tell they was just getting, if there was a level of intoxication that, you know, there was a high likelihood of something bad happening in that little circle, and it was probably about a dozen dudes, so my anxiety flares up in those situations where I'm like, man, I can't. I don't want to be here when this shit goes down. So I, I told him, I was like, look, I'm going to move over here. I don't, I'm not, I don't want to be here when these guys start flailing at each other. And I went, I remember I went to the restroom and I got Tums from the restroom attendant. Cause I was like, that's how bad it was making me stress out. So I'm standing back by the bar and tenacious D is, I don't know, they might've got three songs into their set and all of a sudden just all hell breaks loose. And these dudes got into it, man. And two people got stabbed. And there was a gigantic, there's somewhere we have a photo of this. There was a gigantic puddle of blood. And it was those guys. It was those same, those same dudes. No, so damn. luckily my, my party had moved away slightly from them by that point, but they locked us in the building, dude, just shut the place down. Um, I don't know if you've been to Vegas before. When you leave Mandalay Bay, you have to take like a little tram and it takes you past the Luxor, maybe, and something else. And you end up, and then you cross the strip, you end up back on the strip. Well, you're on the strip the whole time, but you, it gets you back to the, you know, where New York, New York is and MGM Grand and stuff. So we couldn't leave, but when we finally did and we got on that tram, when we went up, you could see the entirety of that complex was circled with cops. Like, I've never seen that many cop cars in one place in my life because they were trying to figure out who the guy was that did the stabbing. It was super intense. And then I was still like all, you know, nerved out or anything. And I, I was like, I'm just going to watch TV. And the rest of them went down to the casino. And that later that night, there was a, the guy and the woman next to us in our hotel room got in a giant <laughs> fight. <laughs> and was saying crazy stuff. And it was, so it was like, man, and I, it, this is going to sound really terribly insensitive, but at one point, I had picked up the phone. I said, look, I'm going to call the desk. I'm going to, they need to send somebody up here. He said, they got to shut this shit. Up. I can't sleep. And the guy says, fine, I'll just kill myself. I was like, oh, well, he's going to take care of it for me. So I hung the phone up and he never did. But, um, I mean, I don't think he did, but it was just like, it went on for like hours, them throwing stuff around the room. You could hear shit getting broken and stuff. I was like, oh man, what the hell? Something in the water. But so that was pretty memorable. Um, thanks Whitey great tickets uh, yeah i mean there's i mean there's so much dude you can, you can and there's i mean there's all kinds of if i want to just sit here and like geek out on musical moments there's so many things that were you know where i just again like that poison thing that was introduction to but there's plenty of shows i've been to where i just you know something there's a moment or something where you're like man this is that just i don't know how but it just changed my life kind of thing there's all kinds of stuff like that that you know, it's hard to pinpoint one to really 
you know, hone in on. But yeah, man, I mean, they're all, I mean, I've seen plenty of bad shows too, but for the most part, you know, something about just that 30 seconds before the show starts when the house lights go down and stuff, that's the coolest part of the show to me. Just that build up, you know, like I, even for uh, like, I remember for us, the first time we played on a stage where it was dark and they had to walk you up there with the flashlights. You know what I mean? Like you had to be, the crew had to walk. And it, that's just the coolest feeling to, to do that. So every time I see a show as a spectator, watching that happen when you can go, kind of, Oh, there they are. They're coming. You know, that kind of thing. I just geek on that. I don't, and I don't know exactly why I mean, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes or something, but I, that is the coolest feeling. It's just like the, when the Kabuki screen drops and kiss comes out, you know, they, you know, they do that. Won't get fooled again. And the Roger Daltrey screen would come in and they drop the Kabuki, that kind of thing. Where it's like, Oh my God, dude, such so chills, you know? Love that stuff. Yeah, because they kind of show them like walking backstage, I guess, coming out of their little uh, dressing room, and that's kind of cool. Yeah, their little, like, their yeah. little pre-taped thing. Yeah, I mean that. That I remember we saw uh, Bon Jovi on the Crush tour, and they had one where they were like coming in on an elevator. It, they clearly weren't really; they were right underneath the stage area. But they had the whole the same thing, like this whole little video montage of them coming out. And it was cool, except I remember being bummed out because Bon Jovi was so not loud. It was the quietest. I mean, it was the crowd was louder than Bon Jovi was, so that was a letdown. But uh, it was like they were trying to cater to the soccer moms, not hurt their ears. But it was uh, a their opening thing was cool. It was really badass how they did it. I just like just the production thing. That that side of it is always, you know, how they get stuff to work and all the moving pieces and. Because there's a lot goes into it, obviously, but you know, I was, that was one of the things that when I would, you know, wanted to be a, you know, as a career, be a musician, I was like, man, I just want to get one of those. I want that. I want to be able to design a stage and have crazy pyro and you know stuff you can't really do at a club level because you know obviously people die from it, so you can't. But you know, when you do an arena, you can blow shit up and you know have lasers and you know whatever it is now that's not lasers, but looks like lasers, you know, that kind of thing. Like I went and saw Iron Maiden on the book of souls tour. They had all the, the giant inflatable Eddie and stuff. And it was like, that's so badass, man. You know, that, that'll never get old. That stuff will never get old. Yeah. For wasn't me, at that least. the tour? Didn't you see him with ghost opening up? Yeah. And they, and I'd never even heard those guys and they were great too. And they gave him, I thought it was really cool. I had a lot more respect for, not that I didn't have respect for him to begin with, but I wasn't a huge Maiden fan necessarily, but, I just thought it was badass that they gave them so much space. I mean, they had, it was like a full production stage. Their stage was, I mean, it wasn't as cool as Iron Maiden's, but it was great. Like you don't usually see an opener get that. I've seen openers get nothing, you know, they get a third of the lights and, you know, 60% of the, of the PA, but they gave those guys the full shebang and they were awesome, dude. Like I couldn't understand a word that guy was saying, but (laughs) like I couldn't understand any of the lyrics or anything. But the show was super cool. I would totally go see them again. Yeah, that was that was pretty bitching. Yeah, I've seen them about like I think five or six times. And yeah, like it's kind of cool, I guess, with them. Like, because obviously, um, I haven't been going to shows like as long as you, and I haven't been like listening to music as long as you. But that's one band, I guess, that like stands out to me because I saw them play like 
essentially in like clubs and now they're almost like yeah. headlining arenas. So it's kind of cool to actually see one band, um, I guess, go up the ranks that way. Well, that's one of those bands too, where you see them, and you're like, how, how would this ever even fit in a club? To me, I can't even imagine them in a club. Cause it was so, it was like, it was designed for those bigger stages. And, you know, sometimes you see bands that get up there and it's like, Oh, they don't, they're not cut out for this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know this for a fact, but I just can't picture like the gym blossoms, you know, really coming into their own on an arena stage. I just feel like they're probably just as good in a theater, but some bands you put them in an arena and it's a whole other band. They just, it's, that's where they're supposed to be. The big stage is the, is the thing. So, yeah. and those guys were definitely that man. That was, that was a full theatrical presentation. And I love that, man. I mean, I like, I mean, I've seen, I mean, you know, Tom Petty, who was, you know, one of my favorite performers of all time, you know, wasn't always, I mean, maybe in the early days, stuff, but that's not, you don't go there for the kinetic energy of their stage performance. You're not, nobody's going to, nobody needs a wireless on that stage. You know what I'm saying? It's just, they're all going to kind of be standing there doing their thing. It's, it's going to be awesome because the songs are so great, but it, there's not, you know, short of the lights moving around. There's not a lot of activity up there that's not singing and playing guitar. So, but then there's some bands you see and it's like, Oh my God, dude, this is, you know, Springsteen where it's just how the guy does it is beyond me. You know, I would love it in a club too, but his show is, it's an, it's dude, it's a, his show's a stadium show. You know what I mean? He makes it work in the arenas and stuff, but he's got the, the thing. It's like, you know, going to, I don't go to church, but I imagine it's what, you know, when going to one of those mega churches feels like just with good songs, you know? All right, man. Well, thanks for uh, taking some time to talk to me tonight about uh, concerts and stuff. No, man. It's, I love, I'm kind of happy that I got the opportunity to do this. I go back through some of this because a lot of this stuff, I'm not going to lie, I really had totally forgotten about. And there's, I'm sure there'll be some stuff that's going to pop into my head later tonight that even just finding some of these little knickknacks and stuff that I've saved, there's. I don't know why I have all this stuff, but it is kind of cool to see it. So, but yeah, no, my pleasure, man. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess one last thing, like what's one, uh, one of those, I guess, magic moments or something. You had mentioned that there's a bunch of them, but I guess one last one to wrap up with. Uh, man, I mean, you know, there's no, uh, underestimating how, crazy it was to finally see kiss in makeup on the reunion tour for the first time after having only been able to watch that stuff on you know bootleg vhs tapes and stuff and their home videos for all those years to actually see that you know and we had pretty good seats for that first the first leg of that tour that was pretty pretty remarkable man like just the, and they were good too you know it could have been the other way they could have come out and been a bunch of soggy old dudes that didn't have it but they came out and they they had it you know and they were they were really working so i mean that'd be one and then uh, you know the other one would just be i remember seeing uh when fleetwood mac had their comeback the dance tour oh and they awesome. did big love that. Yeah, we went and saw it in Moline. It was, at that time, that was probably the most I'd ever paid for it. And I didn't have any dough, so I don't know where I scraped that together from. But um, 
and I remember that when they Lindsey Buckingham came out and did Big Love by himself, and it was just like, you know, I, there's no, I can't put my finger on what was so amazing about. It. I mean, other than he's just an amazing guitar player, but I, I, I always liked that song. But something about the way he did it, just him, it didn't even seem like it was humanly possible what he was doing up there. And they had to set the spotlight on him, and it was just one of those things. Where it's like, man, is this really happening right now? Like. It just didn't seem. I, plus, I never thought I would see them. I was such a fan of them because my, you know, my parents were into them when I was a kid and stuff. But uh, I never thought that reunion thing was going to happen. At least not with all of them. And for them to come out and be great, just like the Kiss thing, you know, I, I you know, I knew that t- that thing was coming because I you know, had people that in my life that you know worked around or for them and stuff. So it was it was telegraphed, but it doesn't matter, man, until you see it. And then you see it, it's like, oh, shit, it's real, you know? So that kind of stuff, man. And then there's a lot of things. Sometimes, man, for me, it's just a a singer singing a particular lyric at that exact right time. And that it just locks into your brain where you can see that moment. It's like in there forever, you know? And I've got several of those where it's like, man, I never heard that line that way before kind of thing. Because I'm, I'm weird about lyrics and stuff. And I've had a handful of those, too, where just like that all of a sudden something starts to resonate and the song means something different because you're living it in that moment kind of thing. So yeah, man, I mean, it's a magical thing. I don't know that a lot, everybody really gets it or feels that way about it, but I sure as shit do. Uh, now I feel kind of bad cause I haven't been to a lot of shows you get after you start doing shows, you don't, you know, sometimes you don't want to go out on the weekends and you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, my bass player Matt asked me earlier, "Are you going to the Crows this week?" I'm like, "Hell no, I don't want to go see that." <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I become that guy, that crotchety dude. It's like, I don't want to. No, I don't want to go out on a Tuesday night kind of thing. So, yeah, maybe I need to rethink my mindset on that. Thanks, Andy. You're now welcome. I'm all down on myself. Oh, Hope you're happy. <laughs> <laughs> I kid. And I appreciate, by the way, before I forget, I appreciate my uh, Snake Pluskin. Slash guy from BJ and the Bear. That's who that guy is, Greg Evigan. That's who you were talking about, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Greg Evigan. Yeah, Greg Evigan. I know him better as BJ from BJ and the Bear, but I forgot about that My Two Dads thing. That's funny. Oh, because see, I recently watched like my pandemic uh, show. This is like totally off off topic, but whatever. Like My pandemic show that I kind of binge watched or whatever was actually Melrose Place, and he was on there. Like, oh, Lord. With short hair and like without a beard, and like for a second I didn't know who that guy was. I was like, "Who is this actor?" He I, mean, I, didn't, million, dude, I didn't realize but... for years that he was uh, that that was the same guy. But when I was a kid, man, I, I loved that BJ. I don't even know if that show ran for more than one season, but I loved that show when I was a kid. And then I can't remember if I read his name somewhere, and somebody said, "Oh, that's good, BJ." I was like, "Oh shit, that's the same guy." I would never, I guess I was just old enough by that point to that it slipped my mind, but I didn't know he was on Melrose Place. Damn, that guy got around. Yeah, he was like some therapist or something, like like for like half a season. But huh. Yeah, I probably won't go down that rabbit hole, Andy. There's no danger of me becoming a a reborn Melrose Place fan. So. Oh, man, it's got some crazy shit I'll have to, t- I'll have to trust your cliff on, notes. Though. Yeah, it's got some crazy <laughs> shit in the middle years, man. Like... Well, I watched it. What was that? That was spun off from. Was that spun off of Beverly Hills 90210? Yep. 
that can, yeah, I, I watched that when it first came out, but I never, I don't think I kept up with Melrose Place. I may have watched a couple episodes. I remember some of the people that were on it, but probably just from like reading People magazine or something. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, that seems like a deep dive. I'm probably gonna try and steer clear of that. I got stuff to do, man. Yeah. Like all important stuff. Like a lot. It's nothing I can think of right now, but it's important. It's gonna like be important, digging out so. trinkets and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm just, I'm just just the tip of the iceberg, man. I got to go excavate the rest. I didn't even get into my closet. This just out of one dresser drawer. So who knows what's in these boxes in the closet? Huh. So I'm gonna have a part stuff. two at some point, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Not as good as about saving these as I used to be. Or I save them, but I just don't know where I saved them. At you know what I mean, like. <laughs> It's hard telling. I'm not as organized as I was in my younger days, so just kind of randomly scattered about the house. There's one thing too you reminded me of earlier when we were talking about Bob, is Mm -hmm. how like he does like save stuff, or he like uh, had that wristband from that show. He did something really cool like last night uh, when we uh, saw Tuck Smith. Yeah, it was at some winery, like winery. I think it was like South. Oh yeah, something they were playing was lit. Yeah, yeah, but uh, uh, Tuck went out onto one of these like little platform things in front of the stage, and he had a vest on with a button. I think it was like Iggy Pop, and his button fell off, and Bob actually grabbed it and then um, held on to it because it was like the next to last song. And then after he yeah. was done, uh, Bob and I, we like each got a set list, and Bob gave it back to Tuck, and he's like, oh, man, thanks for grabbing my Iggy Pop button. So, yeah, he's like a good dude. <laughs> So, I don't know. It was a good moment. Yeah. But, I mean, Bob's, you know, he could have very easily glommed onto that and kept it, man. And, you know, he's cool enough to not do that. Probably recognize that had some value to the guy. Or anybody that wasn't Bob. Yeah. If it was some random person there, they probably would have kept it. Well, yeah. Or just a a super fan or something that would, no, I'm not giving that back kind of thing. You know, that's, unless that was their end to go meet the guy or something, probably wouldn't bother. But, yeah. Yeah, Bob's Bob's a good dude, man. I mean, I'm gonna guess that there's a fair number of these backstage passes and stuff that are in here that I got because of Bob. So, you know, there's plenty of shows that I got into because of Bob, and hell, shows I've gotten to play because of Bob. So they're usually pretty pretty cool things. So, anyhow, uh, yeah. All right, Daniel. Well, thank you uh, for talking tonight. No, my pleasure, man. Come on and clap your hands.